Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Brody Merrill to the Philosophy Podcast. Brody is, simply put, one of the finest defenders ever to play field or box across. He's currently the athletic director at the Hill School, but is one of the founding members, um, has had an illustrious career coming up through Orangeville and box across Georgetown, uh, where he was an all multi-year All-American defenseman all the way through the MLL and the PLL and, of course, the NLL, winning virtually every single award and is uh, really regarded as one of the top two defensemen of all time. Brody, so fired up to have you on the show again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me back, Jamie. Always great to talk across with you. Yeah, man. So, um, you know, as we were sort of uh, trying not to talk too much in pre-podcast chat, um, how fired up are you to put the box equipment back on? Really fired up. Uh, I think that it's um, it's been a tough year, a few years uh, for box lacrosse players, especially up here in Canada. We haven't had our traditional summer box lacrosse seasons. And then, of course, um, you know, COVID's impact on the NLL. So it was, uh, I think I speak for a lot of players, uh, you know, in box lacrosse. It's, it's, a, it's a great feeling. You kind of you know, uh, maybe a rejuvenated feeling for me. And, and um, you know, definitely that time away gives you perspective and just how much uh, we love to play the game. So great. So you're playing for the San Diego Seals. How are you guys going to be? You know what? It's been, um, it's been interesting being a part of it from the ground up uh, as an expansion team. I think we would have ex- exceeded a lot of expectations in our first year hosting a playoff game in our first year and then we were kind of gaining some good momentum heading into our our playoff push in our second year and that's when when the season got cut short so a lot's changed in that time we were able to you know pick up a you know 
uh, a couple, you know, young players and, and, and uh, Trey LeClaire will be with us this year. And then Mike McCannell, who's, who's playing his, uh, his senior year or his fifth year at Stony Brook. So um, kind of injected some, some, some youth there, but also have some staples and, and, you know, Cam Holding, Westberg. And then we, we probably had the biggest, made the biggest splash in free agency signing Dane Doby which uh, you can, you know, just brings that championship pre uh, pedigree and, and kind of winning experience. There are so many people that are going to listen to this podcast that don't really know who Dane Doby are because this is mostly a field across podcast and he hasn't played that much field. But for people that don't know, Dane Doby is, I just think he's a freak. <laughs> That's my best description. I don't even know how he does what he does. Um, how would you describe Dane Doby in his game? Yeah, it's, I've actually been having a lot of fun getting to know him. We, we've competed for so long against each other, but just to uh, kind of what we're doing, so just talking lacrosse and different, you know, theorizing, you know, over different things. And and uh, he's got a really, you know, sharp lacrosse mind, as you would as you would think. I, I remember playing in Philadelphia where we had mostly an American team and not many had known who he was. And uh, it was like, in our pre-scout, like, hey, do not underestimate this guy. And he would, uh, you know, could pick you apart in so many different ways. And his skill level, the way he shoots the ball, um, you know, it, you know, makes him what he I think just his overall compete and toughness, too. He's, if yep. you saw him, he's not he's not the most – he's deceivingly athletic, but he does, definitely doesn't look the part um, yep. that way. But um, so it's been fun, uh, you know, having him, you know, just – bring that presence in right away is, is uh, his impact's been felt immediately. Um, so, yeah. Exciting, man. Really cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Hill. You guys recently um, got yourself a, a campus and um, I feel like it kind of happened right around COVID time. And then, and, and, and the world needs to know, tell us about the updates with the Hill. Um, your new campus and all about it um, and, and how it's helping your students and, and helping grow your school. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it, it was, a, it was a, in hindsight, you know, I think it was, it, it, there was some blessings in, in moving to a new campus during COVID, but it, it was definitely challenging um, overall just with, uh, you know, up here in Ontario, there's, there was kind of these swings where we'd, be in person and then and then lock down and so that that was definitely tough on the students on the staff um, but it's it had been a long time coming for us we'd finally a place to really kind of uh, place our flag in the ground so to speak and and to have a home and uh, it's actually uh, borders uh, Orangeville where I grew up so it's been nice being being back home and uh, we're, we're on uh, you know, almost 140 acres of, of, of land here and a new turf field. And um, it's, it's something that we ha we've had to kind of get used to because we've been, um, you know, it, I think in a, in a good way, we've always been, you know, had great facilities and, and, but it's been kind of pieced together. And, and so here it's, we've got a home base and uh, it feels like, uh, you know, we can kind of grow out. And uh, I think the experience has been, um, you know, a lot better for, for our staff and our students. So it's exciting. It feels, feels like this is our first year, you know, kind of getting settled after uh, the kind of ups and downs, uh, you know, kind of post COVID. 140 acres. And um, what was that uh, Joe size? Um, 
um, involvement in this campus? Yeah, so he's, uh, we, we've obviously got to know Joe through our, uh, you know, Patrick, my, my older brother being the head coach and general manager of, uh, of the San Diego Seals. And, and so he's, he's really supported us through this process and, and uh, you know, and making this new campus a, re a reality. So, um, you know, in, in dealing with him over the years, it, it, you know, and getting to know him personally, it's just, uh, just amazing to be associated with such a, you know, a, a dynamic leader, a really humble person. And uh, so really thankful for, for, you know, his, his involvement in the Hill and, and, and also, you know, and, and, and kind of parallel tracks uh, playing for the San Diego Seals. Yeah. So cool. Um, let's, let's, I want to hear more about, I got some questions about the Hill and, 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 and sort of the, the student athlete experience. Um, so obviously uh, real quick, how many sports do you have? I want to focus on lacrosse, but, but there, there, you have other sports at the, at the Hill Academy as well, correct? Yeah, I think probably our most well-known sports are obviously hockey, lacrosse, and, you know, at the secondary school level, um, you know, both, both boys and girls. And we have an elementary school too, which is much more, kind of a, a holistic uh, approach to, to sports and athletics. So um, yeah, it's uh, those are the hockey lacrosse are, are two flagship sports, but um, we try to build out a pretty, yeah, I'd say progressive and robust athletic environment and, and program. Awesome. And um, how many, how many lacrosse players do you guys have in the school now? Yeah. So there's uh, spread out over, um, Four teams. Um, we have our girls varsity program, and then we have a boys prep program, uh, which is uh, basically seniors and, and post grads. And uh, that's that's a team that you would see, you know, play against the Calvert Halls and some of the, the the higher level prep schools. And then we have a varsity program, which is uh, junior uh, freshman to junior. And yep. they, kind of, they play at a varsity level. And then, and then we have an elementary school team as well. Nice. And what is it, what's the schedule like as it, as it relates to how much lacrosse are they playing, you know, during the different times of the year, if you were to sort of divide it up and, you know, September, October, what are you guys doing? And what are you doing in the winter months? And, and then of course, what's it like in lacrosse season? Yeah. So it's, it's really kind of based on, on age. And so there's a bit of a progression there. So for, our grade 12s and, and post-grads, it's very similar to a collegiate schedule. So they go through a full fall ball. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, and then in the winter time, it's, it's more focused on positional skill development. And the springtime would be, uh, would be, you know, a typical game schedule from March to, to the, the end of May. And that younger age is, there's a little bit more kind of, kind of tailored up you know, where there's, there's a secondary sports uh, and, and a little bit more, a little bit less volume in terms of the amount of lacrosse that, that's being played and, and, and kind of a more phased approach. Um, we want to be, you know, really uh, conscious of like the, the tread on the tire, so to speak, and, and uh, making sure that, you know, in terms of their movement patterns, their even just, you know, mental engagement, uh, so there's a lot of, a lot more variety in the younger ages. Um, and, uh, and then when, once they get older into that grade 11, 12 PG, 
you know, age group is when, when the volume of lacrosse starts to increase um, a little bit more time on the field and, uh, and, and more games, more competition. How much box do you guys play? We do it. We do it in the wintertime. So this is actually the time where we would start that up. And uh, so we'll, we'll play once a week throughout the winter season. And uh, it's, it's a little bit reversed up here where, and we do have some American students, so it, it is nice for them to get that, that experience. But uh, our box season is in the summertime and, and it's pretty intense. And, and as you know, your son went through it. Um, and so we try not to go overboard with it, but it's, I mean, there, there's, there's so, so many benefits, you know, and I think just even for mental, uh, engagement too. And, and it's a lot of fun and, and a lot of, uh, you know, just good lacrosse concepts that they're picking up, uh, throughout that time. So we, we kind of yeah. break our program up into, into smaller groups and, and, uh, we'll run some, some NLL style uh, practices and, and have some kind of competitions within our program, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. It's such a great changeup. I mean, um, you know, even though they played a ton of box all summer long, you know, playing field and doing the same thing every day, no matter what, no matter how much you love it, it's nice to get a change up and to get out there and play box and let those long poles get their short stick back and start doing some finishing and shooting. And like you said, run some uh, NLL style practices. It's, it's a, it's gotta be a blast. I think for me personally, I, I kind of think about my own career and, and playing professionally as long as I have, I think that's been a big factor for me is being able to play both where yeah. it's really, um, it's such a change, a different environment. Um, but each game kind of complements each other. And, uh, so I, I just know for me, like going into a field season, you have that sharpness because you've been playing in a, at that kind of game speed and that live speed and, and but the emotions are different, right? And I think the, uh, just even the environment, the contact, uh, your running patterns are much different. And so um, I think there's something to be said for that, for sure. And, and that's going back all the way to when I yeah, first played, started playing field lacrosse. I'd always, you know, played them, kind of stacked those seasons um, throughout college as well. So. Uh, a lot of Growing people would up, say, I mean, wow, you play, that's a lot of lacrosse and you're playing a lot of lacrosse. And I've always done both leagues. And uh, even in college, people are like, are you crazy? You're going back to play box lacrosse. And uh, when most are looking for a rest, but it's kind of like that. It, it's like that uh, um, you're still being productive. You're making gains and it doesn't feel like more volume. Yeah, just because it's it's so different. Plus, mentally, it's 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 not beating you down because it's it's like it's a changeup. I think that's a bit that's a big thing. Like just that, I'm learning that a lot as a coach, and you can read that a lot from body language. But just uh, just mental engagement and having players looking forward to coming to practice every day, looking forward to the work. And I think that's maybe your biggest challenge as a coach is how can we how can we uh, be productive where there's the players feel like there's purpose to what we're doing. Um, but them making it an enjoyable experience, you know, it's almost like some, if somebody's going to ask to go on a, just thinking of this now going on a diet, right. If, if you're not eating foods that you don't enjoy, it's not going to ever stick. Right. I feel like that's the same when you're doing your practice plans. Yeah, you, there's gotta be an element where the players are enjoying what they're doing, even though that it, it can be at times, um, 
there's some, you know, there's some intensity to it, it can be challenging. It, it can be, uh, you know, you're exerting effort and, and all those things, but, um, I think there's, you want to find a good harmony there. Yeah. And box is just so fun. I mean, field is fun too, but there's just something about box. It just, it kind of just never gets old trying to score on a goalie on a box. Goalie, I, I was, I was telling one of my friends, uh, you just describing the NLL and the box lacrosse. It's just, it's intense and it's very emotional. You know, you have like, it's, uh, th there's a lot of swings in the game. Right. And, uh, where in, in, in field lacrosse, you, you have that, it's a different, it's still as intense and, and, and physical and all those things. It just, um, there's a little bit more break in the action, mm -hmm. right? So maybe a little bit drawn out. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, but I think for lacrosse players, I think it's great to, to play both and experiment in both. Cause you're going to, you're going to pick up some things, uh, maybe that you're not even conscious of that you're going to translate to both games. Totally. And we're going to come back to that before we do. How, how many Americans do you have in your hill program right now? Yeah, we typically have, it's been, I think a little bit lighter uh, this year, just because of the uncertainty around the border and just yep. the, the contrast and, and how much was open in the U S compared to up here. So I think there was some hesitancy there, but we typically have between, 10 to 20 uh, on any given year in our program. So it's, it, you know, for a lot of the same reasons I, I just mentioned, it, it's so, it's awesome to have that mix. You know, I, I feel like on our best Hill teams, we always have a great, uh, a great mix of, uh, of first nation players, of American players, of Canadian players. It's um, I think some of the best teams I've played on have always had a good mix that way as well. How many Hill grads are playing pro lacrosse right now? Oh, I, I, uh, I never, I never really keep that close track of it, but it's, uh, it, it kind of comes into perspective. I know at a PLL training camp, there was, uh, it was cool because there was a, a couple different generations of Hill players that, you know, like, uh, we're just kind of talking and reflecting and, and, uh, you know, I think Canadian lacrosse is kind of a small community. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of neat now to, to play along, uh, you know, side some, uh, some Hill alum and, and then watch some, you know, guys like, uh, it, you know, like I pointed out a guy like Chris Cluche who, who scored the game winning goal, in the national championship, or, you know, or him just recently winning a PLL championship. Um, it's kind of neat to see them grow up and mature as, as people and, and as players. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's one thing for sure. If you do go to the Hill, you're going to be playing with future pros. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it seems like in every class, there's a, a half a dozen at least guys that are playing in the NLL and or PLL. And sometimes there's these guys that are playing you've never even heard of. And all of a sudden they're, they're playing in the PLL or the NLL, these Canadian guys. It's unbelievable. Um, real quick on the academics. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's more of a lacrosse podcast, but, but um Suffice it to say, you can go to any U.S. college from the Hill. Like you can go to Harvard from the Hill or Princeton from the Hill. You can go to the top schools because your curriculum and everything is at a standard where people could choose the Hill just like they were choosing any U.S. prep school. Is that true? Yes, it is true. We actually just had a, a, one of our girl play, uh, female players just commit to Harvard. So it's, yeah, we're a small school. We're uh, we're, we're only 200 students, so it's a little bit more of an intimate academic environment. Um, 
you know, kind of a smaller, smaller class sizes. And I think embracing athletics and embracing uh, the power of sport and all that we can learn uh, and all the, the life lessons that will, will translate. And, and also you see that in the classroom as well, right? Just uh, having some balance and, and um, you know, things like discipline and accountability. I, I think, you know, there's nothing like sport that can, you know, teach those things in such a tangible way. And so that's, I think that's the one thing that's unique about our school is just that interaction and that relationship between academics and athletics is, is really embraced here. And, and uh, but it's, uh, it's become over the years, I, I have been telling my wife this recently, it feels a lot, we're, we're unique, but there's a lot of just kind of normal elements of a, of a typical school uh, that exists here, here at the Hill. And, and uh, you know, I think now being on a new campus, we're kind of, immersed within nature we really embrace that too and uh again kind of take a holistic approach to to learning here uh, both academically and athletically i mean so huge having this campus too because it, it probably allows you to really kind of um create the culture and traditions that were harder to build when you didn't have everybody in one spot consistently and have have you know the the things that you can do to create these traditions kind of like at home you know, when you have got certain Christmas or Thanksgiving holiday traditions that you do as a family, you can do it as a Hill family now. Yeah, for sure. One of the exercises actually we did with uh, one of our uh, outdoor in our outdoor ed uh, session was to kind of track certain areas on on campus. You can track them over the long term, right, and see how they change and evolve. Um, but the other side to that too is I remember going to Georgetown. We were, uh, you know, one of the top track programs in the nation and we didn't have a track on campus um and so there is a bit of a balance that way i think you know at its core i think any organization is going to be you know built on on the people that are in it and uh and then obviously um you know like for us like our programming um really make the school what it is and and uh so it's just nice to be able to blend those things together. And as you said, start to gradually build, you know, and, and uh, but for us, it's always been, you know, kind of, I think a good, your culture better be strong, right? If you don't have the necessarily have the facilities around you, um, sure. you know, the people, the staff, um, your culture, your programming better be really strong for it to resonate. No doubt. But I guess, I guess maybe a better way of saying it's just, you can do, so much more with the experiences that you want to provide with everybody on a campus like that. Yeah, that's, that's the exciting thing. It's, it's, it's finally kind of starting to come to fresh, even just hosting a game here. Right. Yeah. And having, having the school come out and watch and, and uh, it's never something we've been able to do. And, and so maybe those something, uh, you know, you don't quite realize until you see it, you know, play out. So for sure. Very cool. Well, when you guys um, when when does the NLL season and when do the seals open up? We uh, we start this Friday night. We start this Friday night. So uh, yeah, it feels like a long time coming, but it always game week always seems uh, to approach quickly. So let's go. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Who are you playing? We play against uh, the Vancouver Warriors, kind of a, a conference rival of ours. So should be a good one. Where's the game? It's in San Diego. Nice, awesome. Well, one hill grad I'm pretty fired up to watch play box across is Jeff Teat. Um, mm -hmm. What what an amazing talent! 
Um, I don't know him as a kid. I've just kind of grown up watching him. I know his dad, um, but uh, really one of my favorite players to watch. And it's got to make you proud to, to, to watch that kid just perform again and again and again and represent the hell the way he does. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a special person. Uh, it's actually been uh, awesome. He's back here at the Hill coaching this year. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, it's been great now kind of working alongside him and, and, uh, you know, for him, I think he's, he's always been surprised by any of the success that he's had, right. He's a really, you know, as you can probably sense from watching him play, he's a really kind of quiet, humble person, um, has a quiet competitive to it, uh, quite competitive and toughness to him. And uh, he's a really diligent worker. He, he, he's constantly working on his game and his craft. And I think for young players and watching him, you know, since he was in his early years in high school, that was always his thing. He was always very consistent and always working at his craft. And then, um, you know, opportunities and his role will continue to expand and good, you know, good things would just keep happening. He, he always seemed to be kind of surprised by that success. Yeah. Well, he's, he certainly is fun to watch. There's the, uh, the under over on his points in the year is 73. I think I'm going with the over. I think I'll put some big dollars on the over. <laughs> I think he'll beat the over. <laughs> Probably a pretty safe bet. The thing with him is that he can do it in a lot of different ways. He's, He's always been more, I'd say, more of a pass-first type of player, but he, uh, you know, he's always got these quiet points too. He can, he, uh, he's a very good scorer. He's a very good off-ball player too. That will turn in his two goals a game to, you know, when he's really kind of feeling it off-ball, it could be, you know, up to the four-five number. And, and of course, his dad was one of the best off-ball players ever, and so. There's, there's a little bit of that in his game. I think we think of him as a ball handler, a distributor, but he's very good off the ball as well. I did a podcast, I don't know, a month or two ago with Pete Milliman, his former coach at Cornell, and he he described Jeff as like a bounce back in the offense. <laughs> like he just moves the ball so quickly. It just gives it right back to you. And I, I just love that. And I, I think that's so undervalued. You know, he's yes, he's an amazing feeder and he's an amazing goal scorer. He's great off the ball, but that – that guy just moves the ball too. And that is so huge for an offense just to get the ball moving. It is. I compare them to uh, Tom Schreiber that way is that they're not afraid. Like they, they have the capability to make the big play and a dynamic play, but they're also, um, they don't hesitate if a simple play is there and the right play that will kind of, um, you know, push the play forward, you know, and, and so that's that's something that I've, I've always appreciated about his game. It's He's somebody that you, you kind of want with the keys, right, just with his decision-making. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good lesson for, for, for offensive players is sometimes it's good to kind of hit the check down. Um, and then – but there's also windows of the game where you have to be aggressive. You have to be assertive. And, and so it's kind of like that uh, fluid – um, process like where, where you're always looking, you know, for those little windows to, to assert your game. And yeah, I'll give you a great Dame Doby line yeah. when your shot's not going, you got to go to the net, right? <laughs> you know, like if you, you can't just be stubborn and keep shooting all day, right? You, you know, and I think that Jeff has that ability where. Hey, if he's if he's not getting those looks, sometimes you gotta you gotta go to the net. You gotta you gotta go to the cooker and 
and make that the defense respect you. And, uh, you know, and I think you can usually see that in the body language of an attackman. That's one thing as a defender is that if you know that your attackman doesn't have that threat to go to the net, your, your mindset could quickly shift to being more of a help defender um, or maybe even a little bit being a little bit more aggressive on your matchup. So um, I think that's a good, he's, he's got that good balance of, okay, I'm, I'm going to cut my losses here, but oh, I got a little window here. I'm going to go to the net and, uh, and, and be a threat that way as well. Yeah. Those guys are similar in the sense that they're definitely more athletic than you, than they, you might think they are. Obviously Jeff's a lot younger than Dane, but, but the thing is that with the way they do it, is they do it so it seems so effortless the way those guys get to the net. It's it's not like you know a field across a long dodge. It's more like this, and it has to do with what you said earlier, decision making as to kind of how they set it up, how they find their opportunities, how they use a a, a pick to invite somebody over it, uh, or or fake their way through a gap. Um, and all of a sudden, somehow, like when you watch D&W, you're like, how did he get in there? I don't even know how he didn't get killed. And it's kind of the same thing with Jeff. They make it look so easy at times. Yeah, there's some similarities there for sure. I think I remember playing against Jeff for the first time this past summer in the PLL. And, and just kind of watching, he was very like, okay, not doing much, kind of like a little bit just on the outside. And then he just goes and waves. Mm. Um, and then when he really smells blood in the water, it really, he, he, he can really grab a hold of a game. Uh, but it's not in like, uh, I don't know. I can think of uh, Jordan Wolf, right. He's just so dynamic and you're just always on your heels with mm -hmm. him. Um, where Jeff's a little bit different, a little bit more surgical with it. A little more opportunistic in the way that he let kind of lets the game flow work to his advantage and yeah. just understands how to read it and see the openings and yeah it's it's, it's, it's hard to do right it's it's which is hard to do especially if you haven't like if you you know it's a long game right I think some sometimes that you know sometimes a game will you know inevitably open up opportunities for you I think it, it's just it's a hard thing to to have it's just that patience and that poise. Yeah, it's like a good quarterback, right? I think it's a, a lot of in a lot of ways, just a, it's a product of the game of the box across game, you know, which is really a passing and picking and cutting game, um, where you're still going to get to the net, but it's just not as much of an isolation um, where you have to dodge on command. It's it's more like you find a way to see that someone's overplaying you, and you learn how to see how people are playing, and you feel it. Um, and next thing you know, the, the best players find a way to do that. And in, in, in that flow. Well, we, um, I remember my first time practicing for a Canadian national team. It was my first time in 2006 when Gary, Gary Gate and Tom Marichek and Gavin Prout and, and John Grant were, were on that team. And I remember practicing for the first time, just coming right from Georgetown where there were so many you're defending so many kind of those traditional sets where there's kind of more clear slide guys and where it was just like, you know, constant, there was no, there was never a clear slide guy or help yeah. guy, right. Yeah. You couldn't predict much because it was much more freewheeling, right. That where they're just kind of working off each other and, and uh, not that it was disorganized, but it was just like, 
um, yeah, just, just more fluid, less structure and, and just reading, you know, under that, that's very much what box is, right? You almost feel like when you have the ball in your stick too long, that internal clock's going off in your head, you got to pass, go pick away or, um, things like that. So it's, it's, that's what's made it so effective. I, I really think that the box across, I sort of, I've, I've named it for my own purposes, the, the box across paradigm, which is where you create offense with on ball and off ball picks going on simultaneously in ball movement, where you get your advantages when the defense, you know, um, miscommunicates on some on or off ball picking situation, they switch, one person switches and one person stays and, and there's going to be two on one. And that stuff happens on ball and off ball all the time. Whereas the field across paradigm is a little bit more like we're going to be in a set and we're going to dodge or we're going to draw a slide and move the ball and we're going to beat your recoveries with our ball movement. And then, you know, if they do recover and the ball gets backside, then we're going to play lacrosse. Um, whereas I kind of feel like the box cross paradigm, you know, allows you to have to use IQ and skill rather than just having to generate offense based on beating somebody on command. Because you have to beat somebody on command and you don't beat somebody on command. You're not creating any offense, but in box, you know, you can have a, a subpar athlete who's just very, very smart and they know that you're not switching and you're going to come over this pick and they all of a sudden put you in that trailing position. You're never going to catch up. And that's, that's like, that's what I, I learned that from watching Dane Doby. He does that brilliantly. He'll beat you into thinking you can come play him. And then he kind of brings you over the top of that thing. And then you're never going to catch him. And now all of a sudden he's walking in or it's a two on one. Yeah, for sure. I think it's interesting. Even that, that the 2014 uh, team Canada team, we had a line that way where, you know, I, I think some players kind of like those sets and like a little bit of structure and can kind of play better that way and, and kind of more A to B and, and you use athleticism and, and, and kind of simplifies the game for them. But it was, it was Cam Holding, uh, Kevin Crowley, and Jordan Hall. You know, we call them the Freedom Line. There was no set. There, just go play, go play off each other, and and um, you know, they had that experience, and and the more kind of box, I'd say, back, you know, uh, they all played field lacrosse at a high level, but um, you know, worked better in that in that type of style, and and they've ended up being, you know huge impact a huge impact line in that in that championship so yeah i think there's and we yeah we all get in that habit sometimes of over coaching right i think there is a bit of a balance you want to provide to be organized at least and have some some structure there but but also um you know it, it's uh it's it's easy to over coach as well no doubt um one of the topics i wanted to discuss with you is i, I work with a lot of defenseman and uh, actually had a had a call today with this mom and, and she was talking about her son that didn't really want to you know play box or these small pickup like three by games because he was like well that's just for the offensive guys and I was like well I'm doing a podcast with Brody Merrill <laughs> and that's going to be a topic I want to talk about anyways which is you know there are so many people that think being a great defenseman is just all about being a great on-ball defenseman, but really there's the off-ball piece and there's the with-the-ball piece that are so important. And frankly, I also think that your skill level with the ball has a huge impact on your ability to play on-ball anyways, because the more skilled you are, 
the more surgical you can be with your pokes, with your lifts, with your leverage, with your holds, with everything. So let's turn the clock back and just give us the quick, I know you did this on the last podcast, but talk to us about real, real quick before we dive into some of these topics, how you came up through the ranks as a box player and, and when you got your pole and how much pole did you play and, and how did playing box influence your field game? Yeah, it's, it's, it's something I think about a lot now, as you, as you put your, 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 you're trying to relay that on to kind of the, through through coaching and, and what's right and what's wrong and the timeline and um, you know for I was fortunate to play box across for throughout my youth and it was everybody played every position right there was no specialized positions in box across and and it's even even less so at that time um, eventually it's kind of evolved into you have offense defense and I didn't that didn't really specialize for me probably until I was around 21 when I started to play out the back door in box across. Um, so I, I always was kind of gravitated more to the defensive side, but um, I didn't really pick up a pole until I was 16 or 17 through Chris Anderson recommending it to, to try to make the U19 Canadian team because we had, had a lot of uh, attack and middies, but not many defense defensemen and goalies. So my best friend and I, he, he picked up, he started playing goalie at 16. I played, started playing um, uh, long pull at 16 and, and we, we were able to make the team just because there wasn't a lot of depth of talent there in those positions. And that, that kind of got me going in it, it, it. I don't think it's, I would say like for, for a lot of long poles, you shouldn't really full time pick up a long pole until around that stage where you have a really good foundation um, look overall lacrosse foundation, especially with your stick skills. Um, just because of the amount of like they should be involved in line drills, shooting drills, ball handling. Right. I even noticed this actually um, post COVID when I had been playing field lacrosse um, exclusively for the last two years, I started getting back into pickup box lacrosse games. I'm like, wow, I haven't handled the ball in two years. <laughs> I, I don't handle the ball very much anymore with a long pole when I'm playing. Um, and so that, it just kind of reinforced it, right? Like um, the the actual positioning, um, you know, how you hold your stick, some of the stick checks are pretty easy to to pick up. Yeah. Um, it's kind of probably like 10% of the position, you know, 10, 50, like the 85% should be your movement, your athleticism, your, and your ball, your ball skills, your ball yeah. handling skills. And so I've noticed that with myself, but also over the years coaching at the Hill where, you know, uh, in, into their senior year, junior, senior year, I'll, I'll put a pole in someone's hand and it, it, they can pick it up and kind of hit the ground running. Right. Oh. It doesn't take long. And, and I think you alluded to earlier, and we might've talked about this before, like look at a Scott Ratliff, who's again, one of the best all time LSMs. He played midfield throughout high school, right? And picked up a pole really late. Uh, Kyle Sweeney, who I played with at, at Georgetown, again, one of the best all-time LSMs, you know, didn't pick a, a pole up until later in his high school career. And so you see that Kyle Hartzell is another guy that played short stick through, uh, through college. Uh, you know, he's got an interesting path. But, um, and so I think there's, there's a trend there that you should, you know, young players should be aware of. And I think, you know, it's just, just having, you need to have ball handling skills. And, and I think that 
I always cringe when I see youth players split up at such a young age mm-hmm. position and specialize in positions. I even think in other positions, you know, my best friend Kyle didn't play, start playing goalie. Goalie, and I actually heard this recently, you'd actually really like this podcast, talking about the goal, goalie position in hockey um, and how people are trying to, uh, to, to uh, specialize too early with uh, goalie-specific coaching. And it's actually messing goalies up. If you look at a lot of NHL goalies, it's much more of an instinctual position. No, like your, your style is your own right? Where we try to make it a little too cookie cutter in that yeah. position. Um, and I would say the same for, for the other positions on the field too, right? Like it, it's good to have a lot of trial and error to try different positions. You see in college lacrosse every year, right? Um, freshman, that, that freshman attackman that thinks he's going to play attack his whole career, right? Yeah. Well, one of my best friends at Georgetown thought he was going to be an attackman and was a high school American he ended up being a four-year starter as a, as a de- defensive midi wing utility versatility guy that it's a very valuable position. So I think that we can't get married to our position. I think you, um, first of all, you got to like what you're doing. Like I like, I loved being able to learn those checks. You got to be engaged with it and um, you don't want to feel like uh, you're settling, but in the same breath, you want to get on the field. You want to make an impact, trust the coaches around you too, to, uh, you know, have an objective view and try to put you in good situations and and try to buy into that. I remember actually Lindsay Sanderson telling me that I was just going to play out the back door. You know, it's like, Oh, really? Like I want to play, we all want to play offense. We want to play score score goals. And it was a little bit of like, well, you know what, this is the best thing for me. You know, this is uh, you know, he sees something in me and, and, and it ended up uh, you know, being able to create more in transition and focus a little bit more on the defensive responsibilities. And, um, and so, yeah, kind of a long winded answer there, but don't get too married to a position. I think with those specialized positions, face off goalies, long poles in particular, be careful with that. Be careful with that. I think you gotta, you gotta learn how to handle the ball, be a very well-rounded player. And then I think later on in that 15, six to 17, 18, there's probably some signs to that um, where you start to, you know, hone in on a certain position. Totally. Well, I remember the first time I saw you play, I went up to watch uh, Orangeville play at St. Catharines in the Ontario semifinals and you were top center of the power play. And I was like, man, who's that six, four lefty playing top center of the power play. He could probably score 40 something goals for me. And someone was like, yeah, he's a pole committed to Georgetown. And I was like, what? I was like blown away. But you know, when I talk to defensemen that I work with or anybody, I'm like, Hey, listen, if you want to have an idea of how skilled you want to be, be skilled enough to be on your man up team, then you're pretty skilled. And that's like the level of skill that will then translate to allow you to be the best possible defense defenseman that you could possibly be too. I guarantee it didn't take you all that long to figure out how to do a ding dong or how to do a can opener, because you already had the skills to be on your man up team on, on, on a, you know, um, junior A lacrosse team. Well, I'd say for me to my defending ability was adequate. It wasn't like, honestly, it wasn't great. I had some real growing pains at Georgetown, but like just defending the pure, like staying with my matchup. The one-on-one piece. was very choppy and, and uh, even positionally, but what allowed me to get on the field and make an impact was more ball handling, loose ground balls, um, 
so I, I was able to, you know, kind of get my defending up to speed and be adequate. Um, and then that allowed me to kind of make an impact in those other areas of the game. But you, you saw, you know, some of the great defenders I played with, you know, sometimes wouldn't even get on the field because, you know, they couldn't make an overpass. Right. I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating that, right? Like, oh, or, I believe it. Or they can't pick um, up a pick up a one-time ground ball. I mean, let's remember yeah. this, okay? In field lacrosse, a ground ball is worth 0.33 of a goal. This is like I learned this from Dave Huntley, R.I.P. Hunts. But but basically, because of possession, you, you'll score it about a third of the time. So if you get a ground ball, it's worth a third. And if you turn it over, it's a third for them. It's basically if you turn it over on a clear, it's like 0.66 for your other for your opponent. It's a massive disadvantage. That's why having incredible stick skills and be able to clear that thing, get a one-time ground ball, get it out, clear it, especially in the shot clock era is so important. I, I find that too, like from the coaching side, you really feel that, don't, don't you? Like when you're hemmed in your own, your own end, you can't clear the ball, you, you're, you're giving up these repossessions that, uh, that ultimately have a, have a way of finding the back of your net. So I think, I think even what I really value as a coach are those clearing ball handling D middies, right. That, you know, that, you know, the Matt Abbott's of the world that, uh, you know, that I can just, you know, so reliable in the clearing game and, and really have that, that high level ball handling skill. So I, even, even, you know, it's just another element to your game that, that another way to make an impact on the game. Um, no doubt. The big UVA LSM Con is it Connors. Yeah, Jared one, Connor. one, Yeah, one of the most dynamic players uh, I think in the game right now, and uh, on both sides of the ball. Totally. One of the things too that I want to talk a little bit about is 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 your off ball. I mean, I I, I kind of feel like um, everybody when they go recruit guys, they're they're looking for this certain level of athleticism because they're looking for that lockdown one on one guy. And you just kind of said yourself. I mean, you're you're viewed as one of the greatest defensemen of all time. And I'm not sure you would view yourself as like the greatest lockdown guy, but your stick skills and your combination of your off ball, you know, the way you were able to like pick off passes and just and, and hunt double teams and play off ball and communicate, um, you know, arguably has a bigger impact um, than, than anything you could do on ball anyways. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's maybe something that gets overlooked. Like it, it's, it's really comes with a lot of time and experience um, having a feel for the game and uh, yeah, I, I think maybe early in my career, I ended up on the crease a lot because there's, there's just not a lot of middies that dodge poles. There's, there's like a handful of guys, you know, Paul Rabel would, Kyle Harris and those guys were, were not afraid of poles, but for the most part, you usually get, you know, kind of sunk to the crease. So I yep. found myself in a lot of those sliding positions. And um, I think that's one of the big thing for a defender is, having that feel for when to go, when not to go. Right. And some of my regrets, some of the plays I regret after games, like shit, I went too early there. Um, I created offense and, uh, but then there's some times I still remember playing Penn state in college <laughs> and just watching, uh, sitting on my crease. I've, I've got my guy and then watching a nice lace and dodge beat us in overtime and not sliding. So I think it's a real, like, Free safety kind of, um, you know, my one of my favorite players of all NFL players was Junior Seau, right? Like you, you had some sets and you have your systems that you play. Um, but yeah, there's, there's times where you just got to 
you got you got to go blitz, right? You got to you, you got to go, and and I think that that uh, if you can develop a good feel for that and and have well time, you know, sliding off the back of a helmet, mm-hmm. um, you know, we always kind of give that green light. Uh, we have our set system defensively, um, but if if a slide defender or help defender has see something there and feels like they can make a play, there's always a, there's always a, a green light, um, to do that. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun too, right? Like you don't want to just be sitting there. It makes the position fun when you can jump, when you can kind of make some plays, create some turnovers, um, with a well-timed slide. Anticipating when that player might be turning their head is one of the things that I think doesn't really get thought about as much. They kind of like, yeah, when they turn their head, go. But you, you, what you got to do really is like kind of know when that might about to happen. You know, a, a lefty is splitting down the righty alley and you kind of know that the guy's probably coming back or someone's like, you know, going to get turned on the island and you can sneak up on that thing. And all of a sudden when they lose sight of you, you can anticipate that they're going to lose sight of you. For sure. I found uh, sliding off the back of the helmet to back in guys, guys that are backing in. You know, like those are that's those are good times to slide off the back of the helmet. But it's never one thing like it's always it's a situational thing where and it's matchup dependent as well, where, you know, there's a the offense has a favorable matchup. Maybe there's an O midi caught on defense. Well, maybe you have to go a little bit earlier there. Um, If you have a lockdown D mid, well, maybe you need to be a little bit more patient. And then it's it is reading some tendencies, some rollback guys, right, that. Okay, I know he's I know he's rolling back to his right here, so I'm gonna meet him there, right? And so, yep. um, yeah, the timing of that becomes really important. This, when you think of Canadian box across, you, you you usually think of the goal scorers, um, but the fact is there are a lot of amazing defenders at the, in the PLL, at the pro level, at the international level. Um, Graham Hasek is a guy that most people hadn't really heard of until this year because he was sort of low-key box guy. Played for I, I coached him for a season with the Atlanta Blaze when I was Hunts' assistant. And I just I could not believe just, you know, talk about he's a kind of a freak too. What an athlete and what a lacrosse player and just unbelievable everything he does. But um I I I think to your point of you didn't even pick up a pole till you were 16 or 17. I think there's a lot of kids that are kind of like that. And all of a sudden, they're world-class players. Um, can you just rattle off a few of the defenders out there right now that are that are primarily boxed across guys that all of a sudden are making a name for themselves in field as well? Yeah, well, Graham's a Graham's a good example. He's actually a math math teacher at, at the Hill, so he's got that. He's very cerebral, and he uh, he's got an interesting story where he was very late bloomer, and uh, his friend was going to Lindenwood College. I'm sure you know the story, but uh, I don't think that Lindenwood coaches had seen him play until he stepped on campus. And what a, what a nice surprise that would have been to see him play for the first time. But is he defenseman of the year this year? Yes, he was. He was. Yeah. And he's P-O-L, defenseman of the year that no one's ever heard of. And he's a boxer cross guy. He's been three time defenseman of the year in box too, right? That's right. Yeah. And I feel like he's, he's now just even he's right in that sweet spot of his career. So he's, it's probably not going to be his last time uh, with that, but just really well-rounded player. Um, to me, a, a kid that I coach at the Hill, that uh, there's two of them 
One is Matt Wright, who's at the LSM at, at UNC. He's not, he doesn't come off the field uh, very often, and he's uh, just really tenacious and uh, a great box player. He'll, he'll be a future, you know, top pick in the NLL. And, and then, and then Jack Follows, who's a young defenseman. I, we had, we didn't get to see him play last year because, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, with with Cornell's season being canceled. But he's a young Canadian defenseman that is as well-rounded of a defender can play up top down low has great coverability, which is kind of rare for, for players of the box background, just because of that space is so different. Yep. Um, but uh, those are, I, I'm, I'm excited for their future because they're, they're, they're two really high level young Canadian defensemen that are going to be around for a long time. Yep. And then uh, Latrell Harris, who's uh, played short stick in the PLL. He actually, uh, I coached him at Mountain Vista High School. He lived with us. Colin and uh, my son Colin and Lachelle were high school, were uh, teammates from Pee Wee through Midget. Um, now he doesn't pick up his pole that much anymore. But if you ever needed a pole, this guy plays short stick for the Archers. And if he wanted to play pole, he could be a world class pole, no doubt in my mind. He, no doubt, he's one of my favorites too. And and he's one of you know one of those guys that can just cover in space right with a short stick with a long pole yep. and those are really hard to find you know just his his footwork his instinct um he's great ball handling ability we actually was just coaching the the canadian sixes team uh about a month ago and and he was he was great it's, it's really well suited both him and matt wright were very similar um just with their speed and and coverability yeah it's pretty awesome. Um, he, uh, he played, um, with a very short long stick. I call it a schlong, but, uh, you, you used to play with a short long yourself too, didn't you? I don't, I mean, you, you're six, four anyway. So your stick probably only goes up when it's full length, probably only goes up to your nose. But, but one of the mistakes that I, I, I always tell these kids in high school, I'm like, man, cut your stick down a little bit and you'll probably be about 20% better. <laughs> at everything at picking off passes at getting ground balls at, at clearing at checks at holds at leverage um you know so talk a little bit, bit about your opinion on that yeah that it was probably a good buffer for me I cut it down a little bit playing on that first U19 team and feel just way more comfortable with it and then I can remember remember uh, coach Eric looking at me first first practice at Georgetown he's like is that pole? Did you cut that pole? <laughs> Did you cut that pole? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, let, let's, why don't you try using a full pole? And I, I was like hoping to hide it for, from them for a while. And, and I was always like, uh, didn't think, you know, it was almost became a bit of a crutch, but what, it wasn't that much of adjustment once uh, again for a taller person that ended up helping just, you know, being able to use that, you know, for, for a little bit more separation, a little bit more of a buffer. So but especially at younger ages, I'd say for um, for high school, certainly middle school, like cut cut your pole. There's no way or reason why you know a youth lacrosse player should be using the same length pole as what a PLL player would use, right? Totally. Um, well, all the PLL guys, if you look at all of them, their sticks go up to somewhere between their chin and their nose <laughs> because yeah. they're like six four to six six. Let me ask you: Would you like to have a six four or a six six pole? Would you use a longer? Well, it's funny because I remember when I first got in the NLL, I, I they it used to be forty six, and now they cut it down to forty two, which was which was pretty drastic. And I was using a full length 
46. And uh, my reasoning was like, look at, look at hockey, right? Look mm-hmm. at Zidane Ocharo, who's a, who's a taller player. It should be more kind of proportionate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't fly, but uh, <laughs> so. But box 46 is real different than, than 78. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And and 46 would feel really long to me. I've almost gone the reverse now for box because I do think having a shorter stick, just ball handling and clearing the ball, uh, it just feels better. And you feel, you know, uh, it feels a little bit smoother with it. So I think it's got a, your ball handling shouldn't be compromised by, by how long it is. You know, I think there's got to, you got to strike a balance there. If you, it just, yeah. Um, well, if you're a full-grown man and you've got full-grown strength, and you're, you know, then it's a little bit different than when you're like a seventh grader and your sticks over your head. There's, the, there's, you know, when you talk about like, you know, when you're when you're a youth lacrosse player or a high school player and your sticks well over your head, there is just no way you're going to develop as quickly as you would if you had a stick that was probably up to somewhere between your chin and your nose. No doubt. There's no way. You want it? It's like it's it's like soccer or basketball, right? Yeah. Uh, hockey. You wouldn't have any any player in a hockey practice not touch the puck. You wouldn't have a you know or not go through all the shooting drills or like a basketball player just you, you know I can say half to half the basketball players go down to the other end and do footwork drills, right? They're going to be involved in all the shooting drills and all the ball handling drills. I think that's the way we got to look at it for lacrosse. For sure. Hey Brody, this was a, a total blast. I really appreciate your time and uh, congrats on. On the new campus at the Hill, um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do it? Yeah, just uh, um, just look me up on on our Hill Academy website, and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, yeah crossing paths with you on on a lacrosse floor or or, or, or field. But no, always always enjoy these conversations. So thanks for having yeah. me on again. Thanks, Brody. Good luck to the Seals, and um, have a great holiday. And we'll be in touch. Okay. See you, Bye, Jamie. Thanks. Bye. Okay.